questions, please uh, feel free. Uh, let's let's see, let's see what we can get out of this, and let's do it together. So just ask anything you want to ask. The thing about the truth is that it can hold up to any kind of question. Uh, I'm not afraid of questions at all. <laughs> I know God's not afraid of them. And if something I'm, uh, I believe is wrong, I want to be corrected on it. I want to be questioned on it. And there's safety in that. And so uh, you can question anything. You can question God from any angle you want to. And uh, if you question truth, and it really is truth, and all it does in you uh, is it solidifies that truth in you by questioning it. A lot of people are afraid to question God. They're afraid to question the Bible afraid to question you know they just want to, whatever you tell me is what I believe and I don't know if it's the way it's supposed to work I think that uh, is, there's room to question there's room to ask God like Job did uh, like the disciples did questions so, right now huh? I got questions right now let's, let's hear them out <laughs> <laughs> no not for you oh no I'm concerned no <laughs> okay so you guys have liberty anytime we'll, we'll just talk about anything don't mind interrupting me. In Matthew uh, 13, verse 24, it says, I like King James Version. You guys, if you're reading something different, then just try to we'll try to keep up with each other. Uh, another parable, uh, he told them, and he said, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing, okay? When you read, I think Matthew is the only one that calls it kingdom of heaven. All the other gospels, kingdom of God. I don't exactly know why that is, uh, but they're the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. So Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven uh, is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while he slept, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then left and went his way. And when the crop was sprung up uh, and started to bring forth fruit, then also the weeds grew up with it. And so the servants of the householder came and said to him, uh, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? Uh, where have these weeds come from? And the uh, householder said, the owner of the field said to them, uh, an enemy has done this. And the servant said, well, do you want us to go gather them up? Do you want us to go uh, and gather them up? And he said, no, unless while you're gathering up the wheat or tearing up the wheat, I'm sorry, the weeds, that you also uproot the wheat with it. And he said, and he said this is a very important verse, he said, let both of them grow until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, uh, go and gather first the weeds, buy them in bundles to burn them, and then gather the wheat into my barn. So when Krista was here, she, she'd be really helpful here. When you have a garden, or, or a, this is what he's talking about, he's actually sowing seed into the ground. He's sowing wheat, he's growing crop, and so he's farming. He's actually, uh, there's, there's an element here that's really important about what this man does to his field is he actually, before you can sow seed in the field, it first has to be, the state of that field has to be altered. You have to you have to plow up ground. And so the man owns this field and he doesn't leave it like it is. He actually changes the state of it. Sort of like the good shepherd comes into the sheepfold, doesn't leave the sheep there. The field is undisturbed, so is the sheepfold. First thing the shepherd does is starts to change things and moves things, moves things around. You see that? Same thing here. Before you can plant seed, what has to be done, you can't just go out and just sow seed. You can't just throw seed on the ground. It has to be plowed up and cultivated. And the, the terrain has to be changed. Okay, That's important to know as we move forward in this. So just kind of make a side note of that, and, uh, and we'll, we'll move forward. And so um, you would expect, just like the servants of 
of the man uh, would expect that they would they would go out and go ahead and weed the garden and go ahead and pull up the weeds that grow up with the crops. It's what any good gardener would do, I would think. It's what I would do. <laughs> but it's not what this man does. He actually says, let both of them grow together. And let's have this atmosphere where that good seed and bad seed are allowed to grow in the same place. Okay? Really interesting. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. It's like a man who sowed seed in his field. It's also like in the same field, the enemy's allowed to come in and sow seed in that field too. And God in his wisdom doesn't uproot what's bad. He allows it to grow together with what's good. This is kingdom we're talking about. Keep that in mind, okay? <laughs> kingdom. We're not talking about, well, we'll get it. Hopefully it'll make sense as we go a little further. Uh, and so, let's see. Uh, then he tells another parable to them. Verse 31. Uh, saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Here's a common theme here. Sows this uh, mustard seed in his field. Which is indeed the smallest of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest uh, among all the herbs and becomes a tree, so that even the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches of it. And so, uh, if you we pass, we passed over the first parable that Jesus talked about. I think hopefully just because of time, because we're familiar with it. Uh, but if we need to go back and look at it, we we will when. A man goes out and sows seed, and some fell by the wayside. And Jesus explains that parable in this chapter. If you want to go back and look at it, because I want you, you know, you check me on this. Uh, when he is describing seed that's sown by the wayside, I think it's wayside. Uh, he says that the fowls of the air came and devoured that up. And when he's explaining or interpreting that parable, he says that the fowls of the air are. Let me let's go back and look at it. Let me let me. I want to tell you right with what it says. I'm going to throw a lot at you real quick. You guys tracking with me so far? Okay. I'll do my best to make it as clear as I can. Uh, verse 19, the same chapter, he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then comes the wicked one. King James, I don't know what, if you have another version, uh, probably says devil, adversary, something like that. Uh, then comes the wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received seed by the wayside. And so uh, if, if you go back and look at that, he explains how that the fowls of the air took, devoured that seed up. And then when Jesus is explaining to you this, he said the fowls of the air are the, is the wicked one. It's the devil. If you read in Revelation and some places in Jeremiah, uh, you see that uh, that when, the fall, when Babylon falls, there's prophetic language about that. And uh, it says that, I think it may be in Revelation, actually, it says this. It says that uh, that there'll be no more the sound of the millstone in her, no more the sound of the, the, the bride or the groom. Uh, there'll be no more musicians, no singers in her talking about Babylon as it, as it falls. Uh, and it says that, that Babylon will become the habitation or, the, or a cage for every hateful and unclean bird, is what the King James says. It's talking about... Uh, it's talking about fowls of the air. And so in a place where there used to be singing and work and the voice of the, gro the groom, the voice of the bride, all those things heard, there's a change. And uh, I say all that just to say this, that 
the scripture is real plain to make it clear. I mean, it's real clear in a lot of a lot of places that uh, fowls of the air, when you see them in things like this in parables and visions, type of chatter, that kind of stuff, they always represent demonic spirits. And so, now back to this. You guys got questions about that? Like I said, anytime. I'll ramble a lot, so it, I can pick it back up. It's okay. So, uh, when Jesus is telling this about the mustard seed in uh, 32, verse 32, he said, uh, Now, this mustard seed, which is, uh, of course, the smallest of every seed, but when it's grown, it becomes the greatest among herbs, uh, and it becomes a tree so, so big that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches of it. Okay, so now let's just, just go with me for a minute. If the, if the kingdom of heaven is like a field that, that had both good and bad seed growing together in it until the end, you track with me on that. He also says here that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, that when it's grown up, it becomes a tree so so big and so uh, has so much, how can I say this? It takes up so much space and it's so massive that there's even a place for the fowls of the air to come and lodge or make nests in the branches of that tree. If you can connect those dots together, you can see how there is actually room in the kingdom of God for weeds right beside of weeds, bad seed alongside of good seed. There's also a place for demonic spirits to come and nest in, its, in, in the branches of that mustard seed tree. It doesn't mean that the devil is taking over anything. It means that God uses all of it that he wants to. If in his kingdom there are weeds right beside the wheat, is it a big thing to think that the kingdom of God has such dominion and is so is so all-inclusive and huge that he can even command demonic spirits? Have you ever read the story of Micaiah before? Anybody ever read that story? Who Micaiah is? Can we look at that? Because this is a pretty big, this is a stretch to just throw that at you. Say, hey, there's demonic spirits in the kingdom of God. It's a big stretch. <laughs> so let me let's let's go look at this just to clarify, okay? And then you guys ask all the questions you want. That's First Kings somewhere. First Kings twenty-two. That's right. The man, he's a prophet. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. That sounds right. That sounds perfect. First Kings twenty-two. Thank you, sir. The name means like Yahweh. His name means like Yahweh. Okay. Well, let's just read this, okay? There's not. I don't think I need to explain a whole lot. It pretty much speaks for itself. Uh, we'll look in verse 2. I'll wait on you to get there. 1 Kings 22. We'll just look in verse 2. It says, uh, and it 
came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Don't, uh, do, you, do you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, and we're, we're sitting here, and are not taking it out of the hand of the king of Syria? Uh, and he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go down with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, and my people are your people, and my horses are your horses. And Jehoshaphat says to the king of Israel, uh, Let's ask, I beg you, at the word of the Lord today. And then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 of them, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I stay? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides these 400 men that we can ask of him? So Jehoshaphat knew something was up. If you get 400 trusted prophets that come to you and they all say the same thing, that's good as gold, right? But Jehoshaphat knew something. He just something was off was off to him. He said, Is there not anybody else? It's <laughs> 400 are not enough. And so verse 8, the king of Israel said to him, said to Jehoshaphat, there's, there, there's one other man who's not here, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him <laughs> because he never prophesies good about me, but always evil. And Jehoshaphat said, don't let the king say that. <laughs> then the king of Israel called an officer and said, hurry and bring Micaiah, the son of Imla. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, set each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria and all the prophets prophesied before them and Zedekiah the son of uh, whoever that is uh, made, made horns of iron and he said thus says the Lord uh, with these will you push the Syrians until you have utterly destroyed them and all the prophets prophesied saying go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper and the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand uh, and the messenger was gone to call Micaiah. So why the messenger? Why this messenger from the king's gone? The men say the same thing. That ought to be good for you, king. Uh, and Micaiah said, "As the Lord lives, what the Lord will, what the Lord says to me, that that's what I'll speak." And so then he came to the king. Micaiah comes to the king, and the king says to him, "Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we stay?" And he answered the king and said, "Go and prosper." because the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Okay, so here's a man who's trusted and hated at the same time above 400 of the prophets. And so they won't rest, both kings, or they won't rest hearing the mouth of 400 prophets as one voice. They call this other prophet who they know will say a hard thing. So he comes and he says the same thing that they say. And so in verse 16, and the king said to him, How many times do I have to ask you that you tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? So he even says the same thing. And the king knows that something's wrong because here's 400 more people, one who's really trusted, saying the same thing. And the king knows something's wrong. So anyway, uh, verse 17. Oh, wait, wait, let me see. Yeah, verse 17. And Micaiah said, I saw in a vision... All of Israel scattered upon hills as sheep not having a shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let them every one return to his own house in peace. So now Micaiah, now that he's been questioned, uh, he starts to reveal what, what he really saw. Okay, uh, 
verse 18, And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would prophesy no good concerning me, only evil? <laughs> and he said, uh, and Micaiah said, Now hear the word of the Lord. Uh, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. Now this is, this is, this will, this challenges my, it has challenged my theology over the years. It's actually, over the years, but it's actually changed it. Uh, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. Uh, and the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spirit said, I'll do this. And another said, I'll do this. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord, saying, I will, pers I will persuade him. And the Lord said, How will you do this? And he said, I'll... He said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, uh, you will persuade him and prevail also, so go do it. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets, uh, and the Lord has spoken evil concerning you. So in this vision that Micaiah has, he sees the Lord seated on his throne, and all the host of heaven, every spirit that exists, his right hand on his left. He's sitting far above, far above all principality power on his throne, supreme rulership. There's a place in Job chapter 1, if you've read it, where that, uh, that there's a, a particular point where even Lucifer had to come and present himself before the Lord. and had to give account of what he did, what he was doing. God asked for a report of all the angels, Lucifer himself included. What have you been doing? He said, I've been going to and fro on the earth. You know, he, he gives account. And so here, it's the same picture. God is seated on his throne. And there are all these spirits coming. And God is asking the question of every spirit there, who can persuade Ahab to go fall in battle at Ramoth Gilead? And one spirit says this, and he says, well, that won't work. And one spirit says this. Now, and then it, then, it, then it says a lying spirit. You know that God cannot lie, right? You understand that what God does is never a lie. So the spirit is not, <laughs> it's not a good spirit. <laughs> it's a lying spirit. A lying spirit cannot speak truth. It's impossible for it to, because it's demonic. You know, remember when Jesus said that Satan is a liar and the father of lies? Well, here you go. Here's a spirit that's a lying spirit that has no affiliation with holiness. You understand that? Can you follow that? And so a lying spirit comes up and he says, I'll go, I'll go be a lying spirit in the mouth of your prophets if you let me. And God says, okay, you can do that. He gives, he gives permission for that spirit to go. And be, and be a lying spirit in his prophet's mouth. How nuts is that? You ever read this before? Mm -hmm. Huh? Does a different version say something else? Does it, is it, is it translate the same way? Okay. Translate the same way? Not the same way. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> if it translates roughly the same way, you can see this is what Scripture says, right? That's what I'm after. Uh, so if God can call into account Satan, Lucifer, in Job chapter 1 and, and demand of him what he's been doing and he has to give account. He says, I've been going around. He said, I've been going to and fro. So he had to stop what he was doing in traffic and come present himself to the Lord. He had no choice. Here's the same thing. So God, said, God allows a lying spirit to be used. He allows a demonic spirit to be used to accomplish his will. You see that? Now, God's not in league with them, understand that. But his dominion is such that whenever he wants something done, he can allow whatever needs to be done. 
when when Satan came against Job, it was because God allowed it. You ever read that? I can't get to him because you hedged him in. But if you'll take that hedge now, I can get to him. He said, "Okay, okay, you can. There, you can have. You can have at it." And so, let's go back to Matthew 13 when it talks about the uh, the mustard seed uh, growing into this tree, so uh, so big, this small seed that grows into something so big that even uh, demonic spirits are allowed to not only rest on the branches, but it says lodge there, or I don't know what another translation says. Uh, what verse 32, I think it is. If somebody has something else besides King James, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, NLT. Okay, yeah. It what do you want to do, 32? Yes, sir. It is the smallest of all seeds that becomes the largest of the garden plant. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. Make nests. Make nests. And, you know, when birds make nests, they actually reproduce. There, There is there's an element of home there for them. Yeah. Uh, so that word lodge is there for them as a rest. A place of rest. It's nuts. And so, Jesus, I know this is a lot. Are you guys still with me? I know we're not. Some of us are tired. I know some of us are legitimately tired. Uh, and so uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing seed in the field, good seed, and then the enemy comes, sows bad seed, and he, he says, it's okay, let them grow again. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like um, uh, a mustard seed. that When it grows up and becomes big, it's good because it's the kingdom of God, but there's also room for demonic spirits to come and reproduce and have a place of rest there. And here's the thing, if you have a place of rest and you reproduce, you can actually have influence. Questions? <laughs> <laughs> Open to them. Let's read some more, okay? That's just two. Uh, every one of these parables says the same thing. Uh, verse 33. Uh, he spoke another parable to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like uh, leaven. Yeast, I think, is a good translation of that. Uh, which a woman took, and she worked it into, or hid it in, three measures of meal until the whole thing was leavened. So here is this lump of dough, okay? And this woman takes yeast, and she works it into it. She actually hides it in it, is what the King James says. That she takes... Uh, yeast and she plants it into it. She disturbs this 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 lump of dough, puts this in it, just like a seed was planted in the other two parables. Uh, and then she leaves it alone. And that yeast works its way through the whole thing without someone having to touch it. Doesn't do it. Uh, it's not something that's seen. It's something that's hidden. Something that's just in the same way that a, that a seed grows in the sun, into a, a mustard seed grows into a large tree. You can't see it happening. It's something that's hidden. Uh, and so she puts this into this, this lump of dough, and that leaven works its way through the whole thing. Uh, let's read another one. Let's go down to uh, well. Let's just let's just read in verse thirty-seven. Let's just go right down the chapter. Um, they're wanting to know in verse thirty-six the interpretation of. The man sowing seed in his field, the wheat and the tares, the wheat and the weeds. They want to know. So he explained it to them in verse 37. 
he, uh, he says to them, he that sows the seed is the son of man. Remember, going back to the field with the weed, the wheat, the weeds, the wheat, the weeds, sorry. Uh, the one who sows the seed is the son of man. This is Jesus. Uh, the field is the world. I thought, I thought the field was the kingdom. Well, the field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares, or the weeds, are the children of the wicked one. Uh, the enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. And the reapers are the angels. That's pretty straightforward. As therefore weeds are gathered together and burned in the fire, so shall it be at the end of this age. Uh, and the Son of Man, now get this, this is really important, okay? The Son of Man will send forth his angels, uh, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those that do iniquity. He will gather out of his kingdom. If he's, what, does an, what does another translation say? Does it say he'll gather out of his kingdom? Is that what it says? Okay, so he said, I'll gather out of my kingdom. The Son of Man, Jesus, will gather out of his kingdom every, everything that offends and those that do iniquity. So here is the truth of that, is that if he is going to gather out of his kingdom people or, and people that do iniquity, children of the wicked one, then before he gathers them out, their position is in the kingdom. tracking with me. It's a lot to swallow. <laughs> Verse 44. Uh, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's hidden in a field. Here's this same, this same picture of something that's hidden. You can't see it. Treasure hidden in a field. Uh, that when a, when a man has found it, he hides it again. And for, and for joy of finding it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. Why didn't he just dig the treasure up and buy the treasure? He actually buries it back in the ground and then goes and buys the field. So which was more important, the field or the treasure that was in the field? Must have been the field. What made the field have worth? The treasure. The treasure that was in it. So... If the, if the field was worth the same price as the treasure, is it legal to say that everything that was growing in the field had the same value? Yeah. I just want to throw this out there. Okay. Could, he, could he buy the treasure without buying the field? That's a good question. He would have probably had to pay full price for the treasure. Maybe so. Um, he will probably wouldn't have even gotten the treasure <laughs> at that point. Right. I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I thought the same. I thought the same thing. Uh, could he have bought the treasure? Probably so. Uh, he could have bought, bought the treasure, but the kingdom of heaven is all okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, say that again. So the kingdom of heaven is not like that. <laughs> uh, one man could have done that, but it says that the son of man or the kingdom of heaven is like this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, someone could go. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a good question because I thought the same thing. It's a legitimate question. Uh, people can do that. They could say, "Hey, I found this in your field. I'd like to buy this." I don't really. I'm not. In, here's the thing. They could. He could have said, "I'm not interested in the land. I just want what what I found." I'm going by, and I see. I find this treasure in your field, and I'd like to buy what I found. I'll sell everything I have to buy, which is what he did. But kingdom of heaven doesn't work that way. 
kingdom of heaven works like this. There's something of great value in a field, and when it's found, I'm going to put it back in the field. I'm, go I'm going to buy the entire legally. field. Yeah. And it's not even about legally so much, because he could have went to the man and said, I found this in your field. I want to strike a deal for this. This is what is valuable. This is what I want. But because the kingdom of heaven doesn't operate that way, not about legality, the same way that the field with the wheat and the tares, the well, field... I think if the field owner were to realize what he had in his field, he greed would say in just back, you know, I don't want to. Maybe so. Uh, but the man who bought the field here sold everything he had to buy the field. Right. So he made the best offer he could make. So even if he had taken the treasure and said, I found this in your field and I will pay you everything I have for it, it's the same, it's the same offer. Uh, yeah, the man may not have. I, I know what you're saying. You talk about natural things in business. And that's the way we think. That's the way I think. If I found a million dollars in a garbage can, I'm not going to buy the garbage can. <laughs> right. If I want to do it right, I'm going to go find the guy who owns the garbage can and say, hey, I found a million dollars in here. Uh, will you take 500000 for it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you, I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's a pretty horrible example. But uh, the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. It's the way we think. And this is, what he's, this is why he's telling these parables to demonstrate the truth about the kingdom. He actually could have done all those things. He could have could have went and said I found this in your field uh, and this is what it's worth to me I'd like to buy this but the kingdom of heaven doesn't do that God does not do that the kingdom of God doesn't operate that way the kingdom of God looks at the value of what contains it so when the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in a field and when he finds it he goes and hides it back again and then he goes finds the man who owns the field and sells everything that he has. He said, I'll give you everything I have for the field. I'm not saying that a man can't do what, what we're talking about. Those are, those, are, those are really good questions. But that's why Jesus is telling these parables. He said, and I, I'll put it to you this way. Men work this way. Men will go and find a treasure in the field and buy the treasure or take the treasure. Or, or, bury the treasure back and try to fool the man who owns the field and go make an inferior price offered to him. Men will do that. And he's saying this is why the kingdom of God is different. The kingdom of God is like this. The man who finds treasure hidden in the field hides it back, goes and pays the man everything that he has. Does that make sense? So yeah, men can do that, but the kingdom of God doesn't work that way. And here's what he's getting at is that the kingdom, is that God thinks differently about value when we think about it. Does that make sense? The wheat in his field was so valuable that he wouldn't uproot the weeds during the growing process. Are you guys following with me? Did it? Huh? A little bit? Uh, it's like that. It's like something, something's clicking. Okay. There's a piece missing. Okay. There's a piece missing. Let's keep let's keep let's keep reading. Okay. Did that answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking. Okay. Yeah, I didn't really have a question. Who who has the question? <laughs> Speak up now. Yeah. <laughs> So the kingdom of God places more value on the field, I'm sorry, places equal value on the field as it does the treasure. 
because the treasure actually gives the field value. Remember in uh, the, par the parable of the wheat and the tares when Jesus is explaining it, he says, the man is the, the man who owned the field is the son of man, the reapers are the angels, and all this other stuff. He says, the field is the world. Did we remember reading that just a little bit ago? The field is the world. So if his field, <laughs> what made the world good? Was it the fact that he sowed seed in his field? Good seed? It's hard because you have to connect all these parables. It's the same, it's the same thing. If the treasure hidden in the field <laughs> is valuable and he goes and puts it back in the field, then what happens is that, that value of that treasure that's worth everything he has is now transferred to the field. So the field is worth everything he has. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if the, if the field, if this other field with the wheat and the tares is the world, that's the same field. And the treasure that's in the field is the seed that he saw. Okay. See how it's, it's the same parable. It's the same truth. So he has more joy in like seeing that treasure transform the field than just taking the treasure out of the field. Yes. His, out of. his heart is that the world means more to him than us who are in it. So when he buys the field, he buys the world. There we go. And because he bought the world, everything that's planted in that world, in that field, has equal value, has the same superior value. He doesn't go and take up what's important out of the field and go and say, this is valuable to me. He says, the whole field has the same value. So, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The best thing that can happen... <laughs> Okay. The best thing that can oh, the best thing that can happen to people who are children of the wicked one is they're, they're planted right next to kingdom people. It's the best exposure that can happen, and that's in his kingdom. Uh, I know this is a lot. Can, can you say that one more time? <laughs> <laughs> Which one? The last thing. Which I the said? last thing. The best thing that can happen to children of the wicked one, or weeds, or weed in that field is that they're planted right next to the wheat, the good seed. It's the best thing that can happen because people who are not serving God still have the same value in that season because they're planted in the field that's good, where the treasure is. Don't don't picture the field with the buried treasure as this nice lush field. Great grass and flowers all over. Picture it as a field that has thorns and thistles rattlesnakes and everything else in it. It's this field that doesn't look inviting. It's, it's just a field. It's not being cleared. And he finds something of great value in that. And so when he puts it back in the earth and goes and buys the field, he's buying the thistles, he's buying the thorns, he's buying the rattlesnakes, and it all has the same value. <laughs> Does what you want to say? So, so when the so you, when you said the weeds like when they're beside the wheat, mm -hmm. is the whole reason because like we used to be sinners, so would we technically be weeds? And Are we you? turned into wheat. Yeah. Are we now? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Is that, is that where you're? Is that where you're getting? That's at. part of it. 
I'm getting I'm getting to the point. He's, he's talking about equal value too, because he said, you know, God gave his only begotten son, so wasn't that equal value? For everybody, for the world. And he, he, you're pretty much putting it on basis because he said, uh, for God gave his only begotten son. So like you said, that treasure, you know, say it was just the same value as that field. <laughs> so the world has the same value because we're in it. So that's why he gave his only begotten son. And that's the mindset that he had. He's buying the field. Yeah. That, that was him pretty much buying the field. That's right. That's him buying the field. He, he goes and gives everything he has to buy the field. Okay. Not just us who would believe, but us who wouldn't believe, too. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's getting there. It's getting there. It's getting there. <laughs> There's some puzzle pieces clicking. <laughs> yeah. Listen, it took me a while to get to get this part of it. And that's why I want to I wanted just open this up and let's talk about it and have questions and let it, let it just kind of simmer. Because, I mean, the, the wonderful thing is that we're looking at this together. And we see that this is what Scripture says. And if you read it for what it says, Jesus says real similar stuff in a couple more parables in here that it's undeniable. There's one coming up here that I want us to look at that's undeniable. Uh, let's look at this one, okay? This next one. I know it's a lot. I told you it's going to be a lot. Uh, verse 45. Again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man or a merchant who was shopping for or searching for um, the best pearls. Verse 46, who when he had found one pearl of superior price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you all have an app that gives you uh, access to the to the Greek on your phones as you're looking at this? The what? Uh, the blue bubble. Whatever you have, um, this this word for pearl in verse forty six. When he had found one pearl of great price, if you look at the original Greek word there, it's actually the oyster that contained the pearl. It's a pearl oyster. Can you see that? Mm-hmm. You see that, Cam? Mm-hmm. I was looking at that earlier. I don't know how he finds a pearl of great, well, I mean, it has to, here's the thing about a pearl and an oyster, you can't see it unless the oyster is open. Right, so it'd be real easy just to say, I want that pearl, just get that pearl and buy that. The oyster's worthless, right? But he actually comes to a pearl oyster, he finds an oyster that has a pearl in it. He says, that pearl's of such a great price, I'm gonna buy the oyster too. The same way that he bought the field for the treasure that was in it. This is the last one, and then it then it'll be open, open season. <laughs> this is the one that to me is undeniable. It just I can't get around. I can't read this parable without it's so it's so cut and dry. Again, in verse forty-seven. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net, like a fishing net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind. And when it was full, they pulled it to the shore. And they sat down and they gathered the good into vessels, but they cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of this age, the angels will come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. So if at the end of the age, they're severing the wicked from among the just, it means before that, they're together. This kingdom of heaven is like a net. You cast out a net when it's full of fish, you drag it to the shore. 
and you're, re you're pulling that thing in and it has good and bad fish with it, right? Mm -hmm. The same way that the, that the field has a good and bad seed in it. The same way that the mustard seed is a good, is a good seed. It's the kingdom of heaven. It grows to the biggest tree and it has devils lodging in its branches. <laughs> <laughs> So here's why I told y'all all this. <laughs> uh, and then then any kind of questions, any other questions. I love this discussion. This is great. I know this is hard to it's hard to get. When Jesus told this parable, uh, the disciples didn't understand a lot of it. And they actually asked him, Why are you talking in parables? He said, Because it's your place to know the mysteries of the kingdom, but the other for other people who don't have an uncommon gaze, who are not able to hear, he said they won't get it. And so he speaks in parables like this to make us look at it and gaze into it. The thing of, he said this is a mystery. And he said, I speak in parables because I want you to, in the same way that the man found the field and dug for it, plows up the ground to plant seed. I want you to plow up and dig and search for this. I want you to, to want to see this because if you want to see it, you will. And so this is mystery that we're talking about. It's not something that's easily seen. It's something that you just have to gaze at it and you have to let it get in your spirit, roll around, keep looking at it uh, for what it says. Uh, but I, I said I said all that to say this, that the kingdom of heaven, the way that he walks, let's, now let's get back to this, okay? The kingdom with that, with that root word of pace or foot, which is the way that his foot strikes the ground, the way that he walks, which is what he wants us to do as sheep, to learn how to walk and follow him his voice to walk like he walks the way that he walks is this <laughs> and there's a there's trying to connect that is really hard but here's the thing that i want to draw out of this there's so much to that that we don't have the time to draw all the truth out of that or the or the understanding i don't for sure uh, but here's the thing about kingdom and i want this is, i'm sorry this took so long to get here uh, but the whole thing about kingdom and learning to walk in kingdom is that God has designed his work in the earth in such a way that it makes for continual tension. That if I am coexisting with, if, if I'm in this mustard seed plant with my own place and just a few branches up from me, there's a devil who's allowed to be there too. There's tension that's there. There's this coexisting of wheat and weeds fighting for the same nutrients in the same field that makes for a constant tension. You see that? And so, so much to this. Let's just pause for a second. <laughs> you guys, anything you want, anything else you want to ask or say or add to? Is this an attitude or is it a mindset? This? Huh? Is there anything you want to add? To oh, yeah, anything y'all want to add to this or question? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I have a sometimes. It's... Like you said, it's, 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 it's we don't 
as humans, we don't think like that. God thinks like that. That's kingdom mind. Mm-hmm. So is it a mindset or is it attitude? Uh, it's a mindset, and it's it's the way that He walks. So here's the thing: if I can, if I can begin to have the mindset, the mind of Christ, if I can begin to think about things the way that He thinks about them, it's easier for me to walk like He walks. If I can. If I look at someone who lives next door to me, it's just an old wicked devil who's <laughs> destined for hell, that's only half right. It's actually not right. He has the same value as I do because the field that we're both planted in is his field. And he owns the field. And every You see that? Yeah. And what that, that does, sense. yeah. What that does is it, it changes my mindset. It keeps me from being elevated more than I need to be elevated. It actually humbles, humbles me, humbles, yeah, and lets me know that I have the same value. It's why Jesus would say about the Pharisee who goes in and prays and says, "God, I thank you that I give tithes out of everything I have three days, three times a day, whatever it was." I'm praying here. He said, "I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector." And he had this his superior attitude. And the tax collector, the publican that was beside him saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said that the publican or the tax collector uh, left and went back to his house justified while the Pharisee was not. Uh, Make sense? Yeah, yeah. So there's one takeaway from it. And so it is a mindset. Here's, here's, here's the real important thing about that is if I, can, if I can change my thinking, if I can allow him to change my thinking about his kingdom, then it can change the way that I want. Am I wearing you out with it? No, I'm getting it now. I'm getting it. So it really is upside down. Yeah, it's upside down. That's the point of it. It's upside down. It's interesting that he says in the first parable to not remove the weeds because it affects the wheat. And you can say it in this instance then, in order for that wheat to grow, the wheat has to be there as well. That's good. Because it pulls those roots out. That's where I'm going with it. Yeah. That's good. You see what I'm saying? And there's some things that the weeds do to a plant that causes that plant to die. But where the kingdom is upside down, unless a corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies. See what I'm saying? I've jumped ahead of you. No, 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 that's good. That's a good segue. Yeah, that makes sense. That kind of And I can. You can go in, in the practical sense, and you have to have the, the eyes of Holy Spirit to show you, show you this, but even in times where there were things that were a part of your life that were allowed to be there for you to be formed into the image of Christ in a way and there were things that were harmful you know and God's not that he's not like that he doesn't bring harm but there were things allowed to be there and that were because he owns the whole thing he owns the world the galaxy he owns everything everything in it for things to we can't I can't remove this because if I remove this the wheat can't grow It's interesting. It is. And it also redefines whole, whole meanings of lost people. 
We talk about people all the time coming into the kingdom. You know, Lord, they're already in the kingdom. And they're already home. Remember how Jesus tells the parable of uh, the lost coin? The woman who had this coin and she lost it in her house and she looks everywhere for it and she finds it. You know, the lost sheep, the, the shepherd who has 99 sheep and one's lost and he goes and leaves the 99 to find the one. You know, he's not actually going to save, save the one. You know who owns that sheep? The shepherd. Even when it's lost, you know who owns it? The shepherd. You know who owns the coin that's lost in the house? The woman. So lost is never an issue of ownership. If he bought the field, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. You ever read that? The earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. So lost does not even mean not in kingdom. Lost means people don't know who they belong to. It's um, to you can look at it picture of like Jose and Gomer, where he he owns his wife, but they're married, they have covenant, and then she leaves and gets put back and buys her again. It's like the, God created the universe, owns the universe, but yet still buys it again. It's interesting when he says. John 3.16, the, the most common verse that he gave his son, that word gave there is very interesting. I don't know if you ever looked at it. But there's, a, there's if you dig down deep, 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 there's a relation with the word plant. And when we think of, of that the Lord gave his son, we automatically go, well, he gave him his son to die. We automatically go to that, which he did. But we've we need to broaden our vision on he gave his son he planted his son in the world to save the world not just to die but to infect you know what I mean I got, I got something I read this morning okay. and it kind of fits in I see, correct me if I'm wrong but it says it's in James 1 it says dear brothers and sisters when troubles of any kind come your way consider an opportunity for great joy for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow so when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Yeah, if you look at that through this lens that we're talking about, it changes that too. Oh, yeah. It gives you reason to joy because of difficulty and tension and hardship. Because it grows you. That's right. where that king goes up, upside down. There's a, Instead of pulling the weed out like you said already, you leave it in there because it it helps you. Yeah, it helps you. That's where it adds on to that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And there, there's there's a few, if you, if my mindset can change to see his kingdom that way, not only does it change the way I walk, it actually gives me safety in every place that I go. That's the wonderful thing. Is that if he owns the whole world, there's no place I can go where I'm outside of his ownership. There's no place I can go where I'm outside of his protection. Even if you make your bed in hell. Yes. He's there. He's there. <laughs> so it gives him permission to be everywhere I am because he bought the field. And not just me, my stinking neighbor across the fence. <laughs> <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So that, that gives me permission then to love my neighbor like I love myself. That that we like we tend to make that like I'm just gonna love people that are like me. Jesus dealt with that too. I'm gonna love you because we're, we're alike. We'll love you because we're the same. 
that's not what neighbor means. Neighbor means you just need to just cross away from. Them. <laughs> I'm gonna love the people that that are pure devils who act like devils because they're planted right next to me. My roots are entwined with their roots. We share the same soil. We share the same field, the same dirt. What what helps me grow helps them grow. The same sun and rain that falls on me falls on them. The same opportunity for nourishment. It's there for both. It's the same value. It's the same value. When you buy a car, you don't say this tire is worth less than the engine, which it, in all, all reality, but you bought it for one price. And the way that, that we think is we don't love people the right way. When he bought the field, everything has that value. Everything is valuable now. Good, the bad, and the ugly. It's the same value. That's why he buys the field, not the treasure. Because it's all value. It's all the same value. He wants it to have the same value. So he could have bought the treasure. He he could have said, okay, let's just go ahead and harvest this right now. Let's collect the seed and start over. Let's just tear up the wheat and the weeds at the same time. Now let's just go ahead and nip this thing in the bud. He didn't know. I said, said leave them. Huh? He said leave them. Leave them, let them both grow. He said let them grow together. Let them grow together. It's insane. Because the weed has the same value as the weed. That blows my mind. Because the weed is the children of the wicked. The weed is the children of the wicked one. The wheat is the good seed, the children of the kingdom. And he says, let them both grow together because they have the same value. Because in my kingdom, I cast the net out and I drag them all in to my boat, to the shore where I am. I call them all to me. I buy the field and every rattlesnake that's in it because of treasure that's in the field. When he found the treasure, he could have bought the field. That's why he was the same with the fish. Like the good and the bad fish have to have each other in order for the ecosystem to operate mm -hmm. the way it's supposed to. They both eat the same food. They swim in the same water. Same oxygen that's filled some of them even feed off of each other like I won't do that's yeah. kinda gross. <laughs> <laughs> Ever heard of a bottom feeder? No, <laughs> <there. ew. laughs> and so that kind of that kind of mentality changes everything. Yeah. Changes warfare. Right. What is warfare? What is what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm sitting there. If he owns, if he owns the whole field and the devils that lodge in the in the trees of the mustard mustard tree, whatever that is, bush tree, whatever. Baby, come on. What what do I war against? Come on, here, baby. It's all never mind. It's all never mind. Rebecca. Because he will even look at the. Person that's an enemy. No, he really don't. I'm serious. Which you don't look at it anyway, so we don't matter flesh and blood anyway. But even then, it's just all that and brought in. It is. In the, in the time that we live in now, there comes a time at the end where he severs the wicked from the just. The Bible says in, in this same chapter, when Jesus is explaining that, he said, Then shall the children of the kingdom shine forth in righteousness. Then they'll look differently. When this thing is split, you know, when it, when it oh my God. things one talks about it completes the Yeah, it, it grows. It does. Yeah. It's the difficulty and the tension that exists there that causes us to grow. The tension grows. It does. That's what it does. Yeah. 
And here's what I wanted to get to, and I felt I don't know why I felt this in the Holy Ghost, but I just couldn't get away from it. I knew this was going to be hard. Well, not hard. It's just going to be a little bit of walking. Walk this thing out. Is that when you feel tension as you're moving it? Okay, in, in Hebrews 4:10, I think it's 4:10, it says that we are supposed to labor to enter into rest. We're supposed to work to enter into rest. And we've talked about rest a lot of times here. That seems like it's upside down. How do I how do I work to get into rest? It seems like I was just rest to get into rest. <laughs> That's not the way it works. Because there's a tension that actually you experience that will drive you into the place of rest. Do, do you know how a bow and arrow works? You know how a bow and arrow works? Oh, you do. <laughs> You ever much shot a bow before? Yeah. Remember dry fired a bow? Never forget that one. Yeah, it hurts. It does more. If you take a bow, a compound bow, whatever it is, compound bow special, uh, and you draw that string back without an arrow in it, and you let go of it, the bow will shatter and fly in a million pieces in your hand and do you great damage. Arm <laughs> breaks some bones, leaves some lashes on you. It'll hurt you really bad uh, because that. Bow is under tension. When it's at rest, it's fine. You can do whatever you want to with it. When you put tension on that and pull that string back, the string is under tension, the limbs are under tension, everything in that bow is under tension. Uh, and when an arrow is seated in it properly at rest, then drawing that thing back and letting it go actually transfers all of that tension into the arrow. And it preserves the bow and it preserves the arrow. So. <laughs> When you place an arrow, when you place an arrow, when you place an arrow, I wish I had, wish I had, wish I should have brought one with me. I know he's going to be in there. When you place an arrow in a bow, I've got a toy one. Huh? I've got a toy one. <laughs> uh, if you pull back a bow, especially a, a recurve or, or just a traditional bow or long bow or anything, it's hard to pull back because you're fighting against. The rigidity of the bow itself against the string, uh, and that will do damage to the bow itself and to you. But when there's when there's something that's placed in it that's in a place of rest, that's balanced right, uh, and knocked into that string, you can pull that thing back and let it go, and it's the smoothest action that there is because the bow is designed in, a, in such a way that it takes the tension that's present in every part of it and transfers it to the arrow, so that you can let go of it. It's just as smooth as it can be. You let go of it without an arrow in it, boy, it's going to mess you up bad. <laughs> You'll never forget it. And so, this, this is the way the kingdom works. It's a bow and an arrow. Jesus didn't tell this parable. I'll just tell this one. <laughs> it's a bow and an arrow. There is tension that exists because of the wheat and the weeds striving for the same place. The good and bad fish that are existing in that net side by side smashed together while they're being dragged to the shore. And God does that on purpose because he loves, but there's also a secondary reason why he does it. Because he wants me as a son, all of us as sons and daughters, to be subjected to tension. He wants us to live, he wants us to labor to enter into rest. He wants, the only the only striving we should have as sons and daughters is to get to the place of rest. Because if I can rest, just like an arrow is at rest in a bow, 
and that tension, even though the motion of drawing an arrow back seems to be counterproductive, the arrow's designed to go forward, right? So if it can be seated in a bow, and the first, the first action that's actually put on that bow is to draw the arrow further away from the target, which seems counterproductive. If the arrow is at, is at rest, like it's supposed to be, seated like it's supposed to be in that bow, then that tension that even seems to be taking the opposite direction can propel you forward like nothing else can. But the key to that is to be at rest. As long as I find myself striving against the tension of the bow, I can never go forward. And so the Lord uses tension as you as you're moving toward rest. And you know how much we've talked about rest over the weeks, over the months. The Lord uses tension to actually, if you'll let it, it will put you in a place of rest. If you'll not fight against it and just yield to it. <laughs> tension is not a bad thing. The tension that you feel uh, when the Lord tells you to go home sometimes, it's not a bad thing. It's actually something that's meant to propel you into the place that you need to be. But it takes me not fighting against the tension I feel when he moves me in a certain direction. When he pulls me back away from the target, I can't fight that. If I fight that, then I, I fall off the string. I'm not seated like I need to be. But if I allow myself to be seated and trust him, that even though it's a backward motion, it's going to propel me forward. Because if you take a bow and an arrow and you set it there, and it's, it's seated without putting any attention on the bow, that arrow has no potential to go forward from that point. Absolutely not. That arrow can be, so, if you, if you ever, I remember I first started shooting many, many years ago, you try to knock that arrow and it wants to go every way in the world because it's just, you know, it's just, it's not balanced. It hasn't learned how to, you haven't learned how to balance that yet. Uh, but even when it's balanced and seated there, it's in the right position to be drawn back and put under tension. But, um, and let, until that arrow is in the place of rest, tension is going to destroy the whole boat. It's going to destroy everything. Does that make sense? I wish I had a bow here to really drop back and show you what, what that looks like. It'd be easier for me. And so there's uh, the Lord has designed this thing to work in the process of tension. So if you're looking, if it's, it's so it's 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 uh, unrealistic for me and illegal for me to look for rest and entering into rest just to come easy. It's, it's hard. It's something I have to work for. Something I have to purposely move toward. And the, the Greek word for, for uh, uh, labor there, to labor in, to enter into rest in Hebrews 14 is the word to speed. If you drop it down, three Greek words, it's all speed, speed. It's to, it's to quickly try to move there. It's to give every effort. It's the same word as translated to study, to endeavor, to persevere in Scripture. And you see those words? That's the same word. To speed, it means I need to give every effort that I can possibly make to get myself in the place of rest where I trust him. Where that even if he wants to draw me backward from the target, doesn't disturb my rest. It doesn't matter if I hit the target or not. If you picture yourself as an arrow, in a bow, if you're at rest, it does not matter if you even hit the target. If you do what you're designed to do, an arrow is designed to go forward and hit a target, hit a mark. <laughs> and I have to get to the place where I don't care if I move forward. 
I don't care if I ever hit the mark, if I ever get to the place where I'm doing what I quote unquote am called and designed to do. But there has to be something greater than that. So when we sing about you are my you are my great reward, that brings you when you understand that I know we've so much to this. So much to this. Uh, when we get back to Gaze and Grip, what we've been talking about, where that I understand that he is my exceeding great reward. And, it, and I stop reaching for everything else because it's inferior, and I reach to hold on to him with both hands. That puts me in a place of rest so that and my, my, I may be called to be, I don't know, an apostle to, to 50 nations in the world. And I may know that from the Lord and had it confirmed to me and know that's what I'm supposed to do. And uh, then I let go of that because it's inferior to him. So even what I may know I'm designed and called to do is, is, is superior. I mean, I'm sorry, it's inferior to him. And what that does is it, play, it, it actually gives me permission as an arrow to not have to move forward, which means when he pulls me backward from it, I'm okay with it. Does that make sense? Yes and no? And that's what rest looks like. Laboring, making every effort from for myself, for me to get to the place where that none of that matters to me. What matters to me is that is that I'm seated right. Is that I'm seated right next to him. Is that I'm reaching for him with both hands. I'm not reaching for this or for that. Anything I could possibly do with my life that would seem like it's good based on ambition, based on what I know I'm called to do even. And to stop reaching for that because he is superior to all of it. Him, not what he has in his hand, what's in his face. You understand? What he has in his hand is even is even inferior to what's in his face. So if I can lock my eyes on his eyes and I can lock my hands on his garment like he's already doing to me, there's a place of intimacy and solitude and rest in that that nothing else can provide. And everything that I refuse to reach for, when I'm not looking, he rakes it up and gives it to me, actually slides it next to me. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And that's what entering into rest looks like. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's why Jesus can sleep in a boat. It's why, when it's it's going back to Matthew 13 and all these parables of the kingdom, it's why he could go into every place that he went and he never had trouble healing people. Never had trouble performing miracles. He never had issues with it. Why? Because everyone had the same value. He didn't make difference of people. He was in such a place of rest and he viewed the world in such a place of ownership and rest because God, because his father owned it, that nothing was impossible to him. Well, I know that's some hard stuff to hear. It's challenging. It is to me when I say it. It's hard to, it's hard to wrap my brain around that. You know, there's never, I know I say this so many times, but it, it impacts me every time I think about it. There's never, ever, ever recorded any place in Scripture where someone came to Jesus asking for healing who left without it. He never said no to anyone. And it wasn't hard. He didn't have to. He even got creative with it. He spits in the ground and makes clay and rubs it on somebody's eyes. You know? He does all kinds of different things. It's almost like he's having fun with it. I don't know. Because it wasn't hard. Because he understood that his father owned the whole, th the whole thing. His father bought the field. And he, and every, here's, oh gosh, get this. If you talk about him planting a son in the earth, which is exactly what he did, when God gave his son, he planted his son to the earth. So, what's the treasure in the field? Is it me, or is it him? If God, oh, yeah. this is good. 
If God planted his own son in the field, not only does the son have value to the father, but the whole field has the same value as the son. Come on. So the children of the wicked one, the same value as the son of God? Really? The bad fish in the net, the same value as the son of God? Is that too good to be true? It's hard to believe. If you believe that, if you, if I believe that because God planted his only son in the earth, it's not hard for me to believe I can walk like a son. Because everything in the earth that he bought when he bought the field has the same value as the treasure that was placed in the field. That's why he didn't take the treasure out of the ground and go and buy that. He actually planted the treasure back in the earth. The same way the mustard seed was planted, the same way the good seed was planted, the same way the oyster was hit, or the, the pearl was hidden in the oyster, all this stuff was hidden. It was planted in the earth because that thing being planted gave the whole whatever whatever was planted in all gave it the same value. So Jesus knew that's why he could heal everybody with no issue. He wasn't fighting, he wasn't struggling against the defeated enemy. He wasn't struggling against the devil. Everybody in the field had the same value as he did. What do you got, man? I know you got some stuff stirring. I I just can't get off of some stuff. Like, it's just... It, this whole... Him being planted. Um, and just the... Oh, my gosh. It even makes you look gone for 16 different. Everything different. It really does. If a uh, coral wheat doesn't fall to the ground and die... It's amazing because when it dies, it actually then grows. And that particular plant helps kill or manage weeds. That particular, that wheat, corn wheat. Yeah. If you're planting a large harvest and you want to manage your weed population, you plant that plant. Really? It's very interesting. Huh. Very, very interesting. I'm just, I'm just like chewing on it. Yeah, really. Keep chewing. I'm chewing. Yeah, it's chewing. a mouthful right now. Yeah. Man, there was. Uh, you, I mean, you can't tell me if this is true or not. It's just the stuff I looked at. Just about weed. <laughs> you know that scripture that talks about the seed having to die first. That's actually the wheat has to become fully grown. For the seed to develop on that on that wheat stalk, mm -hmm. and then then that stalk has to die, and the seed actually never dies; it's just planted in the ground and grows. But it's the full grown. It's the key to reproduction. It's death, burial, and resurrection. It's the key to legacy. That's that's why he lets them both grow together. Till yes, because mm -hmm. it's the key to legacy. <laughs> yes. He's so smart. His face is priceless right here. Huh? His face is priceless. Thank you, man. It's good right now. I'm glad you chewed on it because he got me chewing on it now. Because when he said that, I was like, oh, 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 oh. This is another small field open. Man. This is, what, this is just a very small glimpse into what kingdom life looks like. 
looks like what Jesus, the way Jesus finds us. And so when, when and you go back to John, let's go back to John chapter 10 for a second. So when he throws us out of the sheepfold, if he goes to stand and wants us to learn how to walk, he's waiting on us to have our mindset changed. It's a small sliver of it. To understand that he has bought the whole thing. So a lost sheep doesn't need to be born again, doesn't need to be saved. Saved in the way we've always pictured it being saved. The lost sheep is owned by the shepherd anyway. The lost coin, the lost son, and the, those three parables he, he tells, I forget, forget exactly where it is. The son that's lost, the prodigal son, I think, is the, is the same the same area that's told. Mm-hmm. The son, even when he was prodigal and, went and, and, li- and lived a wasteful life using his, his inheritance, was never disowned by the father. There was n- there's never never an issue of being di- of, of not being owned. Still a son. He was still a son, even though he was making horrible decisions and poor choices. No less a son, so that when he comes back to the father's house, he's not getting saved again. He's not getting. He's not being transferred from one kingdom to another. He's actually always been in kingdom. That's why the father has legal right to him before the son even says a word to get off the porch, go, go to him as he's coming back home, bring him back into his house, put on him the best robe, put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, take the best calf that's there to kill it and make a feast for him. It's unbelievable. It's because he never was dishonored. And if the world has never been disowned, or if God bought the world back as he bought the field, that's where the kingdom of God works, then everybody out there is worthy of a robe and a ring and a fatted calf and a feast and a party all the time. Was the, was the son who was prodigal when he's he's in the pigsty eating the slop he was feeding to the pigs, is he any less worthy of the ring there? Nope. No, not at all. Still worthy of it. This is nuts. <laughs> So that's why Jesus can go into any town. Lord, Lord, you can heal me if you want to. Yeah, I want to be healed. Okay, next. Why? Because, because he understood that everyone had the same value as him. And that sounds scandalous to say. But if, he, if God planted his son, gave his son, planted his son into the field, then it gives the field the same value as the, as the thing that's planted, which is planted. The greatest treasure that exists in creation, the Son of God, planted in the field, and that gives the field the same value so that the man who finds the field goes and pays everything he has for the field, not the treasure in it. That's crazy. That's too good. That's too good. I hope this is challenging you, challenging you all the way it challenges me. Oh, yeah. This is what kingdom looks like. This is Kingdom does not look like church people in the world. Can you see that from what Jesus said and what we talked about? It's all together. It's all his kingdom. That's why he took the temple down, because it was a confinement. That's why he does anything he wants to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, dude, it just gets deep. Dude. Like, our kids open like 80 different doors in there. But it's one big door. It's yeah. one big door into this world Jeez. that I never knew existed. I never knew he was that good. Man, oh man. So why don't, okay, so now let me just come back here to this real quick. So uh, why do I have to beg God to heal somebody? Should I have to beg God to heal somebody? Should I try to twist his arm when he's already, he's already bought everybody and everything in it and called him a son and daughter? You see, if, 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 uh, if Wes is a son, do I have to beg God to heal his own son? If Wes has the same value as the son of God, 
Do I have to beg God to heal his own son? No. I have to understand that Wes has the same value as the son of God because that's the treasure that was planted in the field that gave everything in the field the same value. And if I believe that and I, and, I change, and I allow the Holy Spirit to change my thinking so that I start to walk that way, boy, then I'm starting to walk like Jesus. Then there's that familiar stepping on the earth that creation responds to. So that when I get off the boat and get there, like Jesus did, that the demoniac who's in the tombs cutting himself just turns and runs. And the devils that are in him say, I know, I know you have to cast me out. I know. Can we make a deal? <laughs> because that man who had a legion in him was had the same value as the it's it's the, it's it's the, here here's what it is it's the it's the <laughs> this is so good it's the face to face encounter that God wants to have with everyone where that He comes down to my level and He looks me eye to eye and I see Him and we're equal He holds me in the same value that He has actually in a superior value we talked about honor a few weeks ago and 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 Second Samuel somewhere says that. Uh, that God says, I will honor those who honor me. And that word honor means to prefer someone above yourself as superior. If I, if I hold God in a life of superiority, that he's better than me, he says I do the same thing to those who honor me. So he actually looks at me in the same way I look at him. If I hold him at a high value, he holds me in a higher value. And it looks like Jesus taking the towel and washing my feet when I ought to be washing him. And to start to walk like that, knowing that, knowing that the value of the Son of God is in everybody because he bought the field, changes everything.